Hello, I'm Gabby. How's it going? Welcome to the Happier Life Project, brought to you by the free award-winning mental health and wellness app, My Possible Self. In today's episode, we are exploring how laughter is said to be the best form of medicine. Where did this phrase come from? How does it work? And how can we incorporate more funny into our life to reap the benefits? Did you know that laughter has been scientifically proven to strengthen your immune system, boost mood, diminish pain, and protect you from the damaging effects of stress? And upon doing my research, that's just scratching the surface. So if we're going to explore laughter as therapy and laughter as medicine, then what better guest than a professional comic to help us explore this laughing matter? Joss Johnson is an Emmy-nominated writer, stand-up, actor, and NAACP award winner. He is currently a writer on The Daily Show. For our UK listeners who might not be familiar, The Daily Show is an American late-night talk and satirical news show that airs every Monday through Thursday on Comedy Central, drawing its comedy and satire from recent news stories as well as political figures and media organisations. In addition, Josh is Comedy Central's most-watched comedian ever, with over 40 million views to date across their platforms. His comedy special, Up Here Killing Myself, which was released in February of this year on Peacock, and you'll hear me refer to throughout the interview, uh, is absolutely brilliant. Josh is extremely active on YouTube, so you can check out lots of his content there too. He's got his own podcast called The Josh Johnson Show, and he voices Harry Buns, an aspiring DJ on the Disney Channel series, Kiff. So, ready to find a healthier, happier, merrier you? Let's get started. Josh Johnson, welcome to the Happier Life Project. Thank you so much for being our first comic on the podcast. I have been keen for a while, for longer than a while actually, to explore the theory of laughter being the best form of medicine and finding the right comic to do that with. Then I discovered you and uh, some of the content that you have done in the past, which I'm obviously going to ask you about. Yeah, so thank you for today. Thank you for taking the time. I want to start with some fun facts on this phrase, laughter being the best form of medicine. Do you know the origins by any chance? No, I Um, don't. No. Okay. Well, neither did I. So I Googled. Apparently... Laughter is the best medicine. The origin of the phrase is actually in the King James Version of the Bible, Proverbs 17.22. A merry heart doth good like a medicine. This is the oldest version of the phrase. Oh, wow. No, I didn't know that at all. Yeah. So people have been considering laughter as like medicine or laughter as therapy for a long time. I'm just going to hit you up with another fun fact. In the 1300s, visionary French surgeon Henri de Mondainville, a professor of surgery, promoted the idea of treating post-operative surgery with humour. He advised telling 
patients' jokes after an operation as a way to ease pain and speed up the recovery process. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. I mean, that seems like a great idea unless the joke is very funny and they have any sort of rib issue. That is a problem. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's where they got the phrase, the side splitting. <laughs> yes. Yeah, probably. This is, could we get into like where all these old sayings have come from? Anyway, before we go further into that, because of a lot of our audience are British, they might be meeting you for the first time. Going back to your roots, where it all began in Louisiana, was laughter always around? Did you always know that you were funny? Um, I didn't know, always know I was funny, but my grandma was very funny. And so my grandma always kept us laughing. And I think that she's someone who would always tell great stories, like really, really funny stories. Oh, that's where you get really, it from. Yeah, yeah. She's just very like <laughs> quick witted and she's very like snappy and everything. And so mm -hmm. um, watching her, I feel like was a, a real privilege as far as who in my life was making me laugh. Mm. Do people in Louisiana talk much about their feelings and mental health? And was that around when you were growing up? Because it's become prominent in your work now. But again, going back to the origins, do people talk to therapists and stuff? You know, I think that just like you already mentioned, there's been this sort of at least in the States, this explosion of people talking about therapy, people going to therapy and everything. Yeah. I don't feel like in the 90s that was as much of a thing. Uh, I think there was still a lot of resistance to it, yeah. especially somewhere like the South where there were people who would probably just have the, the notion to just pray about it or to... Right. Uh, do any sort of like old school thing in place of like a modern talk therapy or any other form of therapy. Mm. Um, there's, there's definitely aspects of it in my life from an early age, but I think that's because my mom had a, I guess you could say like a, like a forward thinking approach to therapy and was never shying away from making sure everyone had someone to talk to. Mm. Um, outside of that though, I don't really think about it as uh, people being open, as just people not not being exposed to it as much yet. Mm, yeah. If that and makes sense. It totally does. So I found an article written uh, by USA Today, and it was talking about researchers at the University of Colorado ranking the funniest cities in the US. They found Chicago top of the list. And you went, didn't you, from Louisiana to Chicago. I did. Yeah. That's where I started doing comedy and everything. And that's where I sort of began the journey. Did you know this about Chicago, that it is a funny, apparently a funny place to be? I had a hunch, but I didn't know these stats or anything. I just, I watched a lot of people coming up that got their start in Chicago and then moved to New York or LA or, mm. you know, maybe even the UK. And mm. I think that for the most part, it seemed like Chicago was the perfect uh, was a perfect place to start because of how it's structured. You know, there's industry there, but there's not so much that you're in it over your head. Um, mm -hmm. And there's also enough opportunities to do comedy with the right ratio of comics to where it feels like there's enough to go around for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so then I I felt like that could be 
very fertile ground to do several spots a night and to start making a little bit of money doing it once I was getting good enough to do it. So a lot of it revolved around that, like a huge amount of it did. And I think that what makes it such a funny city is that it's not just a lot of stand-ups there. There's also a huge amount of improv and, and sketch. And there there used to be more improv schools there, but uh, there's still more than I'd say you'd find in other cities. Wow, that's really cool. I didn't know that about Chicago. Did you always want to be a comic? In a sense, yes, but I didn't always know it could be a job. So I always loved comedy from the time that I was little. Mm-hmm. And I would like sneak to watch certain comics uh, if they came on late or if I, you know, had control of the TV or something. And I think that when I was getting older was when I was realizing that this is actually a job that people do, you know, for a living. And and that's when I think I really wanted to be a comic. But then even so, I still went to college and I still found a sort of artistic major so i majored in lighting design and i didn't really use it except to make money doing a lot of design for plays the summer after i graduated to save up the money to move to chicago so Mm -hmm. in that way it was it was very beneficial but then once i moved chicago i never really used it again Mm. and the writing as well so you'd never had any kind of formal training in being a writer for comedy no, no. Um, you know, I started writing stand up and then that was the whole like training, I guess you'd say. And so writing my own stand up uh, for as many shows as I could do mm-hmm. lent itself to what I do now, which is writing a lot of stand up and writing on um, different late night shows. Right. I mean, me having some experience in the US, I know the magnitude of the shows that you're referring to. Was getting the gig as a writer and a performer on the the Jimmy Fallon show, was that the big break, would you say, or did that come before? No, I mean, I think that that, you know, that's definitely my first job that I got. And I think it set the stage for everything that came afterwards. So, mm-hmm. you know, when, whenever people sort of connect the dots, looking backward, that is the first legitimate industry thing that I got that was like very substantial where everyone in the States knows what it is. Um, I I got some things before um, I've been on some comics to watch lists and everything, but that while, while I'm very appreciative of that, that is not as universally known here as a writing job on a late night show. Right. Um, So yeah, that probably was, yeah, my first really big thing. Mm. And for our UK listeners benefit, that would be like, well, we don't really have this sort of sketch within the late night show uh, layout, if you will, or format. We don't really have that, which is a shame as much of that sort of sketch comedy aspect. But I think of like Graham Norton and um, Jonathan Ross, big evening show hosts that get all the celebrities on um, yeah. talking about this, that and the other. So it's, 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 it's huge. I mean, you don't, you can't go much higher, right? So Was it people that enjoyed your stand-up that were like, hey, you got to come and write for us? Is that how it works when you get into like writing comedy for TV? I mean, it it works differently for every person because there's not necessarily um, one uniform way to get hired. Mm. But for me, I had submitted to do stand-up 
on the tonight show because you know sometimes they have those comedian guest spots and so i had Mm -hmm. submitted to do one of those and both the booker and the head writer really liked my tape and so then the head writer asked my manager at the time well would he want to send in some jokes just straight like writing out a packet of of jokes of different things that we would need so a couple of sketch ideas a couple of desk piece ideas and um a couple pages of monologue jokes and so i did that and then i sent in that first packet and didn't hear back for maybe a week or so Mm. and then they wanted more and so i uh did another packet for them um and this time i had a little bit less time because I, I guess that's more like what the job would be, you know, like when you actually work at one of these places, you have to produce ideas every day and write right. jokes every day. It's not a whole like you have a week to do it, you know. And so then from there, after I sent in the second packet, they brought me in and did an interview and I got the job. And I believe that that's different than how some other people got the job. Some people came straight from SNL to right. um, to Tonight Night Show. Life. And yeah. so there's there's different avenues for, for every person. There's no way to be too prescriptive about it. And when you got the, the gig, the full-time contract, you were going through something really tough in your personal life, weren't you? Because you shared that in Up Here Killing Myself, the comedy special that I watched, you sadly lost your father around this time. So you had this massive career, I guess, high, and then this real personal low. And in terms of, again, I think going back to the theme of the episode of laughter as therapy and laughter as medicine, how did it help you? Um, I mean, I think that, you know, one of the ways that people engage in any sort of uh, avoidance is is through work. And then yeah. my work happened yeah. to be, you know, about being funny and about making people laugh and about trying to share ideas. And so I think that in the same way that I probably leaned a little bit too much into work in the form of uh, avoidance or as a tool for avoidance, I think that it also helped me process most of what was happening because I was talking, at least in stand-up, was talking exactly about what was happening and how I was feeling. Mm-hmm. But then uh, also at Tonight Show, I was writing jokes that would hopefully make, you know, a couple million people laugh. And so that was also something that I could take to heart that mm-hmm. my dad could be proud of or that I could be happy that I was doing. And it's, you know, one of my biggest dreams was to be able to engage as many people as possible with my jokes and so in two forms i was doing that even though i was going through this really rough time Mm. it's quite amazing that you could do that because i think some people would the last thing they would feel like is like having a laugh you know but then can you separate and and just turn on the sort of creative work mode like a musician maybe would turn to their art in a similar way yeah, I think so. I think there's a yeah. misconception that because a comic is funny or can be funny, that they're also having a good time. You know, it's like if ah. I, I like I know this joke works, and so I can say the joke, and and it there has an element of surprise or an element of recognition in it that makes you laugh. Maybe it's something that you've always thought, but nobody's put to words yet. And in mm. those cases, I think that yes, it's very easy to then. Uh, assume that because I'm making you laugh that I am also having a good time. But Mm -hmm. I think that there's a more formulaic approach to how 
certain jokes are written, especially like monologue jokes, or if a story is funny and you tell it with the right, um, with the right enthusiasm, that can also be mistaken as like, he's having so much fun telling this story that he must also be having the time of his life, you know? And I think that Mm. to your point, like a musician, a musician can write a song because they understand song structure and they maybe, you know, have a feeling that they can put in the lyrics. But on any Mm. given day that they're singing the song, let's say it's a sad song. It doesn't mean that they're depressed. They just know the song they're singing. Right. Yeah. And I suppose to your point as well, something that has been I've looked at in many articles is that a lot of comics do struggle with their mental health, depression and addiction being sort of top of the list of of struggles there in in your uh, like opinion and in what you've seen just being part of the industry why do so many comics struggle with these mental health problems i mean i yeah i i definitely can't fully speak to addiction just because addiction usually even though it's a a sort of masking agent for a deeper issue um i've never taken drugs but it does seem like at least to the mind and the body when you're on drugs that drugs are pretty awesome so it is (laughs) hard to both turn down the fun of the drugs in the moment and just address the masking that you were using the addiction for that's right. a, that's a tall order to ask of any person and so that's my outside perspective on what creates and 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 sustains addiction but for mm-hmm. depression i think that there's something to be said for like I don't know if there's anything healthy about being deeply, deeply analytical all the time. I don't know if it can't somehow lead to at least being a bummer to yourself when you're alone, if that makes sense. And so I think that there is something about how you are taking your your deepest thoughts, um, the things that you, yes, think are funny, but also the things that you actually feel. You are putting them on display for the strangers. There's no sort of misinterpretation that can take place the way that there can be in music. Because in music, if someone is um, deeply depressed and writes a song about their depression, but it has a nice beat, it could be played in a club and people could dance to it because they don't, right. maybe they're not yeah. paying attention to what the actual message of the song is. Whereas with comedy, it's like, Yes, you can laugh with a little bit of misunderstanding of what the person is trying to say. There can be a veiled messaging in a, in a joke. But for the most part, you have to get the joke to get the joke, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if you if you took all the things that you that you think and feel and gave it to the world most often for free and the world either rejects it or just simply doesn't understand it, that's a very depressing feeling to begin with. And I also think that the the type of mind that's good at, at writing jokes and good at poking out where the humor is, is also the type of mind that maybe this isn't a fair summarization of it, but I, I think that that's also the type of mind that is going to look at a general situation that other people are also looking at with a little bit more gloom, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because I think that for the most part, you have to look at what we're all looking at and find something funny about it i think you can't just turn that on and off i think that same person looks at the same thing that we're all looking at and find something depressing about it or find something really scary about it and so Mm. the the thing about being analytical which is what i think almost all of the great comics are is that 
there is something sad about that, about being the only person that sees the world the way that you see it. Not saying that everyone doesn't have some form of unique perspective, but mm -hmm. I think that it's very easy to feel like this sort of island when you um, do stand up, especially if you're struggling. God, the, the sad irony then, it's you know, you're making people laugh. Meanwhile, internally, you might feel the, the complete opposite of. I want to go back to your stand-up special up here, Killing Myself. I mean, it was great, first of all. I absolutely loved oh, it. Oh, thank you're you. such an amazing storyteller. I think actually you can, if you've got Apple TV, I think you can access it there. You might be able to because it's on Peacock in the States, so I'm not yeah. totally sure how people get a hold of it when they are not in, in um, the States. Yeah. In the States. Yeah. I loved it. And I thought your sense of humor in your, your way would really resonate with, with British folks. I mean, I'd like to think so. I've, I've been to the UK once and I plan on coming back as many times as possible, as soon as possible, because I, mm. I really did enjoy it. And I think that, yeah, I want to explore more of, um, I guess, both what, meshes well with a with a british audience but also mm. um i think that having that sort of experience with the other audiences whether whether it's connecting or not is is going to open up your perspective a bit more to write jokes that will yeah well that's fair going back to to that actually in terms of the topics that you covered in up here killing myself grief trauma poverty the pandemic dating feeling different gratitude it was all stuff that I think is quite universal and then going back to what you were saying about like finding the funny in those moments that you know weren't very fun funny like the pandemic or whatever in terms of taking those topics and packaging it in a way where it sort of goes from you in a therapy office talking to your therapist to you going on stage like the whole concept of, of tackling these issues and positioning it in the way that you did in terms of like going to therapy, where did the idea come from? Why did you want to make a show in this way? I think it's because that's the way that it most organically happened slash happens, if that makes sense, mm. where, um, you know, some people have, have said that comedy is their therapy or doing stamp is their therapy and everything i don't think it's in any way a replacement for actual therapy with an expert i think that the whole point of doing stand-up is to be funny so i think that when people take on too much of the angle of how it can be therapeutic to to air out everything that they're feeling and they haven't actually written jokes or are telling a story for a specific reason i think mm -hmm. that then it becomes a little bit just too self-indulgent and mm -hmm. and i think that audiences can tell when you're doing one or the other and mm -hmm. i also feel like when you are doing therapy i i at least anytime i've been in therapy have had the sort of inclination to sort of break whatever tensions being built with my therapist by being a little bit funny um, yeah. because I think it is hard to just tell someone how you feel and let that hang in the air uh, yeah. or tell someone what happened or what you're scared of and just let that sit so yeah sometimes I would follow up with with something that was wholly unnecessary but I thought was funny or a funny aspect of why I was feeling this way and so mm -hmm. the the way that it happened is the way that the audience sees it. So I would start out the 
um, conversation or the idea of speaking in therapy because I don't know how I feel about it. And I don't know what I think about it. But then we we cut to me on stage finishing the joke, which is then me deciding how I feel about it and having processed the thing and ready to share it with people. And mm-hmm. so we, you know, I, I worked with Jacob Minacci for it, who directed it, and that was something we talked about where it feels like the best pairing, the most complete analogy uh, to start some of the stories or some of the jokes in therapy, finishing them on stage, because that's just how it played out in real life. You said as well that like some people cry, some people, you know, scream, get mad, but you tell jokes as a way to process something that's, that's gone on. Mm-hmm. So was it cathartic then putting the show together or was it more challenging because you did, you know, talk about some serious subjects that I listed earlier? Yeah, I mean, talking about my dad was probably the most difficult thing. Everything else I felt like was a bit therapeutic and it, and anybody that does stand up and anybody who does shows like, let's say, you know, the people who go to Edinburgh and everything, you know, they mm-hmm. have a new show every year or so. Anyone who performs, whether you're an actor or, um, you know, a comedian or anything, knows what it's like to have to let go of a piece. So maybe you're an actor and you've been in a play that's been running for several weeks and this is the last week and you have to say goodbye to this character in some form. You're not going to perform it this way with these people again. And so it's a way of Mm -hmm. having a sort of farewell. And then for anyone who writes a show and doesn't get to do that show anymore or doesn't feel like they can do that show anymore, having their last couple performances with it is something special and a way to book in the journey that was writing all of it, putting all of it together, you know, um, combing through your experiences to make a piece and then having to let it go. And so for me, shooting the special and putting it out was that was, Mm -hmm. it was my experience of how to say goodbye to these jokes and how to share these stories that I finally felt ready to tell and Mm -hmm. how to, um, sort of move on from the place I was at when I started the project to, to present. Mm. And, and they're all, and they can live on. People can, can check them out. I know like we can't get Peacock TV in the, in the UK, but I would suggest to anybody listening to this to try Apple TV. We'll get to doing all the plugging as we wrap things up, but Flipping over to the other side now, I'm sat in the audience from the audience perspective. And again, going back to laughter as medicine. So I want to talk about like laughter and why it makes us feel so good. And I'm going to be a bit geeky on you now and share some some more research. This is um, an article on CNN about laughter being therapy for the mind and body. By activating the neural pathways of emotions such as joy and mirth, Laughter can improve your mood and make your physical and emotional response to stress less intense. For example, laughing may help control brain levels of the neurotransmitter serotonin, similar to what antidepressants do. By minimizing your brain's response to threats, it limits the release of neurotransmitters and hormones such as cortisol that can wear down your cardiovascular, metabolic and immune systems over time. Laughter is kind of like an antidote to stress, which weakens these systems and increases vulnerability to diseases. I'm pretty sure that when you're, you know, writing your jokes or you're on stage, you're maybe not <laughs> thinking about that. But like, 
How does it make you feel when you see an audience looking at you laughing at your jokes? Um, you know, I definitely feel like it's my best form and the first form that I found in a substantial way to communicate with people. I feel like when I was young, I, I did not relate to people that well, couldn't communicate that well. And so when I found comedy, that was a way of sharing my ideas in a way that felt like I was making sense to everyone. And so mm -hmm. that's kind of what I get out of it on top of making people laugh. And it, and there's something about kind of like, you know, your, your fact from before. It's like when you laugh, you feel no pain. Like there, there's a moment that you forget about everything so you can laugh, even if you're laughing at the thing that is causing you pain at, at the moment. And so when I'm doing a show and and we're all in sync. I feel like it's a very mm -hmm. unique experience to have with a bunch of strangers that I'm able to tell them this story. I'm able to joke about whatever thing I'm talking about. And that if, if I feel like we're all getting it at the same time, that's mm -hmm. um, a, a beautifully communal experience. It's, it's something that people mm -hmm. usually have to go to church to find or go to, you know, mm -hmm. some sort of like community event or, or anything. And then even in those aspects, you have to then find your specific tribe that shares your values and everything so that you feel like you can have this communal experience. Whereas mm -hmm. with a comedy club, you can just have it by nature of being open to laughing at some jokes. And so mm -hmm. you can really have like the night of your life with a bunch of strangers and it be just as um, fulfilling as like working your whole life to find the specific cause that is stationed in your like local area that you can go to that, you know, you can all talk and feel you know, seen and understood by each other. So I feel like mm -hmm. it's, if anything, it is a shortcut to some of those same uh, feelings of community. Mm. And this is making me think of another line you said in Up Here Killing Myself, where you said right at the end that it saved your life. Mm -hmm. Was this, when you're talking about comedy, was this performing, like being on stage and being part of that community, which is so beautifully described just now? Yeah, I mean, it, it has it has a bit of double meaning in there because I think that therapy both saved um, saved me from having darker approaches to to life events and then uh comedy also uh saved my my mind and my efforts from getting lost or just giving me a means of of uh of purpose and a way of channeling everything you know so it's like yeah. it, i think therapy gives you a, an outlet to just express and then uh comedy gave, gave me at least an outlet to express and and be a benefit to someone else for it you know when you when you go to therapy you're the reason you're paying your therapist or at least your insurance is is because this is like very little benefit to them to just be listening to your problems. But then if you can make your problems funny and you're telling them to a bunch of strangers and it actually makes their day, then that's now all of a sudden you're being yeah. both useful to yourself and society by uh, having a sort of marriage of uh, a meshing of these two things. And so that's, mm. that's what I meant by it when I was saying it. Right. D does that help then you tackle... Because life is super stress. I don't need to tell you this. Life is super stressful for most people now, isn't it? I mean, coming out of the pandemic and then, you know, a war and then another war and then, you know, economically people are like really, really struggling. 
finding the funny in those challenging moments and there was you know again from what I watched you you do a great job of giving some examples of that especially when with your upbringing and you talk about not having very much money and and finding the humor in that and do you think people need to do that more have we like again and this is more like zooming out do you think that we need to like laugh at the absurdities absurdities (laughs) (laughs) well laugh at how I'm trying to say the word you know laugh at the the shit that life throws at us let's put it that way sure sure I mean I I don't know if it's if it's for me to uh, prescribe how anybody should feel about their situation but I think that that has worked for me and I think that that's what I try to help people engage in when I'm when I'm up there talking about anything. Uh, so when I do talk about politics, I'm usually talking about it from an angle of not you should be doing this thing right now. I'm not doing a rallying cry to start a revolution. I'm more just uh, poking fun at the fact that things got this bad somehow. And mm-hmm. and who knows, maybe some of it's our, our fault for not being more engaged. But I think a lot of it is the fault of the people who said they take care of it. And I don't, I don't think that that is, um, I don't think that's an unfair way to summarize the the state of the world, you know, uh, especially mm-hmm. in any democracy. It's like, well, you're also the people who said you take care of it. So you made mm-hmm. promises. So then it is our job to hold you to keeping those promises. But I find that most of the, whether you want to call it pain and suffering or uh, dissatisfaction that people feel in a in a country can usually be laid at the feet of a government that is either not doing what they promised to do or willfully ignoring the the will of the people and mm. i think that more often than not wherever you go in the world most people want the same things and those things are not too much to ask you know if we can live in peace and if we can have a little piece of um a little piece of the world that we can feel like is our own, not necessarily for ownership, but for just some form of, of, of shelter and safety. Those are not crazy things for any person to, to want or to, to ask for. And the way that people explain not giving them or providing them, especially when we see how many resources most, you know, governments have at their feet. I think that that deep absurdity is is funny i think it is funny it's it's to me it's funny to address how even a local government could be like guys i'm I'm very sorry we're bankrupt but i will uh i will see you when i get back from vacation in the bahamas it's like that's a (laughs) yeah wow wow okay in my face as well Ooh, you're brave (laughs) that's crazy and so i i think that for the most part yes it's important to have some form of uh of levity but also i i get how when you are very close to a situation when you're in the middle of it you might not be able to find it as as easy which is why i've made it my job to try because i don't put it on every individual to have the sort of mindset of a comedian. I think if they did, nothing would get done. So I think it's <laughs> it's much better for everyone to sort of live their path as they see fit, and I'll try to make yeah. them laugh along the way. Well, I mean, yeah, that will really strike a chord with a lot of people, what you just said there, Josh. 
You've just had Thanksgiving. When this episode goes out, we'll be very close to Christmas and then we're starting an, a new year. How do we incorporate more fun and funny into the next year, do you think? Where do we seek it? Because I think this is a good opportunity to write, remind people to to try and seek it out because it will help you therapeutically, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that one way is is uh remembering not in not in the sad way that every day could have been worse but it is genuinely funny how bad some days can be like how many things can be toppled on almost like a schedule of bad things happening in one day and when those don't happen i think it's easier to look at how how things could have gone and have a laugh about how ridiculous the situation ended up being but i i think that not getting too involved in news that you can't control is one way to have a a lot more uh levity to your life you know mm-hmm. i i read about the news in in different places um all the time for for work and for a better understanding of how the world works but mm-hmm. um I'm very aware of what I can help with and what I can't. And so I think as as much as you might be inclined to try to save the entire world or the entire country or anything, if you can focus on yourself, your family and your local community, I think that those are three things that are within reach enough that you can have an impact on. Uh, not saying it'll be perfect, but I think that while the world does need a lot of help, I think that there's definitely something to be said for only even engaging in affecting change where you can. And then if everyone does that, we far more quickly reach a, a better world. And I think that in a better world, it is easier to laugh more. And I think that when you, when you set your goals out for what you can accomplish, which is improving yourself, uh, taking care of your family, taking care of the, the strangers that are your neighbors, right? When you've done all that and that's what you set out to do, it's much easier to feel accomplished and like you're having an impact. And when you have those feelings, I think it's easier to engage in everything that is uh, that is good about the world. You know, if you're if you're trying to uh, bring world peace all by yourself, then, yeah, you're going to be pretty depressed for quite a while. Who knew a comic could be so wise, Josh? Oh, that, that's very kind. <laughs> I was not funny, which uh, was not a great display for <laughs> for me, me wanting people to check me out. <laughs> no, we're going to point to all of all of that. There's a signature, I suppose, sign off for the new season of the pod, which is the last five in five. This is more like quick fire five questions, the same questions that we ask every guest. Before we get to that, though, again, because of, you know, when this episode is going out, have you got a favorite like christmas movie that makes you laugh um the friday after next really does it for me it's one of the friday movies in the in the franchise so there's the movie friday next friday and friday after next takes place during christmas okay i've not heard of it oh it it's wild i it doesn't surprise me that it has not made it over but it's a great movie (laughs) okay yeah yeah Cool. Mine's Elf, by the way. <laughs> oh, Elf. Yeah, yeah. Classic. Uh, yeah, exactly. Classic. Okay, time for the Happy Life Project slash five in five. When and where are you at your happiest? Um, I think doing a show really is uh, 
uh, one of the best feelings. And then outside of that, just time with family, you know. Mm. What's your favorite thing to do that nourishes your mental health? Um, I, I read comic books. And so if I feel very accomplished, right, I will um, take some time to myself, not worry about anything else, not look at the phone or anything. And I will read a comic uh, that I've been saving because that is, I don't know if this is the healthiest thing, but I definitely save the books that I want to read to read all at one time. So I'll just be like, okay, I'm going to have these two, three hours to read and I'm going to get as far as I can, not even for the goal of finishing, but just for the goal of like being able to engage in the story deeply, you know? Ah, I love that. Uh, what piece of advice do you now know that you wished somebody would have told you earlier that would have made you a happier person? Uh, I say it a lot now, actually. Uh, but I think if you can be equal parts uh, persistent and patient towards a goal, you will much more likely get there. So I think that you have to be mm -hmm. patient enough to know that everything doesn't come to you at once. And even if it did, you might not know what to do with it, but you have to be persistent enough that you're engaging in that daily work that's chipping away at whatever it is that you want. And so rather than hoping it happens or being scared it might not happen, if you mm -hmm. can make a daily or just an, uh, a daily practice or an understanding of being equal parts persistent and patient to whatever it is that you want, then you're much more likely to get there and you will enjoy the, the journey much more. That is such a good message as again, going back to like time of year where people are thinking about what they want to achieve. What is the most important one thing that needs to change to make the world a happier place? Um, having a shared understanding that uh, you don't need to have excess in order to not lack, right? Because even when you talk to uh, very, very high earners in the States, people making like half a million dollars a year, they still don't feel rich. And that that has always blown my mind. I understand that they're not millionaires. Right. But when you look at the world at large and you look mm. at the dollar and, and how the dollar stacks up to every other currency and you make half a million of those a year and you're still like, I'm just trying to get by. Mm. I think that that tells you everything you need to know about why uh, uh, so few have so much and, and are not willing to not only not share it, but will steal and cheat and lie to get it you know yeah true that uh, finally what is a simple actionable first step that we can take when it comes to incorporating laughter as medicine or therapy uh, into our lives that will help us on our journey to building a happier life um i think finding a comedian or a show or uh, a friend that you find funny and just spending that time with them. You can spend the time with the comedian either by going to a show or watching something that they put out. You can watch a show and that supports the people who made that show and you can spend time with a person in person and then that not just supports your relationship with that person, but you get the benefit of being around someone who is very funny. Brilliant. Well, that's the perfect segue to let people know how they can find more on you. So obviously you've got a website, joshjohnsoncomedy.com. 
Um, and we do have US listeners as well, so it's worth mentioning that you are going on tour. Was it the sophomore tour? Is it? I'm yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, sophomore, sophomore season. Sophomore season. Tour. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that kicks off early January, and you've got your own podcast, the Josh Johnson Show, mm-hmm. and then Instagram is Josh Johnson Comedy, and same for YouTube too. Have I missed any areas we need to mention? That was it. I, I think uh, for the most part, you can also catch me on my YouTube channel, which is also, like mm-hmm. you said, Josh Johnson Comedy. And I upload new stand up there weekly as much as I can as possible. And if I ever, you know, uh, fall behind or miss a week, I usually upload a bit more the next week or something. So that's where you can find what I'm doing currently. Awesome. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. No, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happier Life Project with me, Gabby Sanderson. Now for the important housekeeping, if you are suffering with your mental health, there is a crisis button on the My Possible Self app, which will signpost you to the correct information for immediate expert advice. Those of you who are listening on one of the podcast platforms, the My Possible Self app is completely free to download and you can access all of its content. So you don't need to worry about it costing you anything. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the interviewer, which is me and the interviewees. The content of this podcast should not be considered as a substitute for professional or medical advice. I do want to stress that laughter as medicine is a saying, please do not take us too literally. And the primary healthcare are not involved in the production or content of this podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review if you found this episode helpful and to find and follow us on social media. If you're not already there, we are at My Possible Self and I've been at Radio Gabby. Do take care and I'll see you on the next one.